Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookee. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Janine, thank you for coming. Um, and so, yeah, you take it away. You tell your story, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and we'll fill in blanks as you go along. I, I might ask questions, but apparently people do think that I listen good, so I will keep trying to listen good and not talk too much. No, I, I appreciate that. I've been listening to quite a few stories since you and I met for coffee last mm-hmm. week. And I have to tell you, I just, I'm so amazed by how vulnerable people really are. Yeah, hey. And I, I mean, I've been sober for, I got sober on August 4th of 2021 from alcohol. Because mm-hmm. um, there's other addictions that are very prevalent in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still never ceases to amaze me. Just the openness and the honesty in the rooms. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's such a huge part of my recovery. So, yeah, but, you know, what it was like, um, what it's like now what I've been doing, Let's, mm-hmm. yeah, all that. So uh, I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. Mm. Um, my parents were married till I was about 12. They did not have a good marriage. Mm. You know, and sometimes I, I find myself underplaying our childhood because I hear so many stories that are just heartbreaking and horrible, and mm. I don't know how people come through some of the stuff they've seen when, yeah. um, you know, in comparison, mine's not bad, but, you know, as a kid, it's still shitty. Mm. There was a lot of fighting. I'm not a lot of, not really any physical. I saw one instance of physical, um, but lots of emotional. Mm. And that's, that is a real big part of my story because, oh, well, as I'll, as I'll become an underlying theme, you know, self-confidence uh, and ego were very, very um, brutal for me. Mm. Um, I grew up in a household where it was common to hear, you know, words like fat, lazy, ugly. Like that's a loop that still runs in my head to this mm. date that I need to, um, that I work on um, pretty, pretty aggressively with a team of therapists yeah. to try to unwind that, that mm. verbiage. And it wasn't even directed at me. Uh, I was a very, um, there's certainly the looks part wasn't as much directed to me. I was, mm. I'm a middle sister. I have two sisters. Um, I was you know, always lean growing up and, mm-hmm. but there was, there was, there was things like, it was just, it was constantly, you know, if I had acne on my face, mm-hmm. you know, going through puberty, it was zit factory or it was this or it was that. And it's just, and that most of the negativity was my father directed to my mother, but mm-hmm. you pick up on that as a kid. Of course you do. And you internalize a lot of that. Yeah. Of and course. 
it's just, I don't think parents, um, and I always, I always try to bite my tongue when I say parents, cause I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. And so I really feel like an asshole giving parenting tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, you have been a child, so you do know what might've helped better. Yeah. 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 You know, I could write a book on what not to do when you're getting divorced and for sure. Um, write a book on, you know, kids know you're not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's a lot there. So I didn't grow up with alcohol in my home. Um, that was alcohol didn't really become part of my story uh, until I was, you know, I don't even remember. I hear people talk about in their stories. Like I remember I took my first drink and you know mm-hmm. the switch went off and I was hooked. Yeah. I don't have that memory. I, I don't remember drinking much through high school. I know I did. Um, I, um, but I, I remember like being physically ill a couple of times from doing shots and stuff, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't a big part. It was a, Alcohol was very prevalent in our small town. Uh, my sister, my older sister was involved in a drinking and driving accident. There was lots of drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. I'm talking town of 500 people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a stoplight. There isn't an Uber. There isn't taxis. There's a stoplight. Yeah. yeah. And no, a stop sign. We didn't even have a light. There's okay, never sign. mind the light. Yeah, it was a four-way, <laughs> four-way um, stop, not controlled, four-way stop intersection. Um, so there was lots of drinking and driving, lots mm-hmm. of drinking. Drugs weren't as big. You know, the kids that smoked pot were kind of like the, oh, my God, the potheads. Mm-hmm. Like, they were just such, it was just a different. Such losers, hey? Yeah, it yeah. was. You know, because alcohol. It's so strange. Because alcohol has been yeah. so accepted in our society. You know, and I didn't even know the degree or um, severity of it until I really stepped away and looked at it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it wasn't part of my childhood, but it was in our home. But it was... My parents divorced. Um, me and my younger sister went to live with my mom. My older sister stayed with my dad. In a small town, we could, we could still see each other. We'd walk back yeah. and forth. But um, my dad's was the fun place because he was, you know, in his prime, dating women after women after women. That would be that would be a chapter in what not to do when you get divorced mm-hmm. is introduce your children to all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to this day, when I've dated men with children, I've been very, very, very adamant I do not want your children to know about me until mm-hmm. we've made a decision that that makes sense yeah that wish has not always been respected mm-hmm. um, and then things get tricky but well because they escalate too quickly right well There's... and then kids get involved and feelings yeah. get involved and I get attached yeah. and they get attached and you know it's just it's just not something I think kids need to go through when they're already dealing with the divorce of their parents mm-hmm. um so, you know, my sister was in a drinking driving accident where somebody was actually killed in the mm. accident. And um, her friend, the friend that was driving, you know, got the DUI, tried to kill herself on the scene, um, just suicidal waiting, you know. And then the other friend has never been the same. Like, she yeah. would touch and go. She died a few times, you know, in, in the hospital, and they brought her back. And, you know, it was a pretty significant traumatic mm-hmm. event. But you would, you would think that would have been a conversation in our family. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Um, so I went to university, um, and even there, you know, alcohol and drugs were not a big part. I was always working. I had my boyfriend, who ultimately became my fiance. I was, I think, very. My life was very tied to his, hmm. um, which is weird because he really liked drinking. And to this day, I, I believe still does. Well, I know still does. Um, actually, comes from an alcoholic home, hmm. um, but I always thought I just didn't like to drink. I was boring, so I was just DD. You know, and then fast forward, I'm, you know, engaged with him. I've moved to Calgary. Um, I am get a job downtown working in corporate Calgary, kind of at a medium to entry level position. And I love it right away. And I want to make my way up and work my way up. Uh, I was always insecure. 
Mm. Always insecure going because I was around people that were 10 years older, mostly men, 90% men, um, and just very self-conscious about how I looked, like a fish out of water. Like, mm. They all seemed fancier and had nicer things and drove better cars and had huge homes. And I, you know, I had 30 grand of student loan debt when mm. I left university and um, I didn't have, uh, you know, nothing's ever been handed to me on a platter. So anything I've earned in life, I've, I've been helped along the way with my family mm-hmm. um, when they can financially definitely, you know, um, support just emotionally and, and other things now. But I just really felt uncomfortable. Um, that's when I noticed al- and alcohol became, that's when alcohol really became part of my story is because for, for work events, um, I was taking clients as I was moving up my career really quickly. Mm-hmm. I was now entertaining and taking clients golfing and I had never been golfing and crippling fear like the night before, like crippling fear of what am I going to look like when I tee off and Mm -hmm. if I don't hit the ball, oh my God, like this was taking me back to remember being, you know, in junior high and having the same just crippling fear about um, sporting events, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was track and field and people watching me and seeing me and what if I didn't look good or what Mm -hmm. if I looked, I wasn't as fast or what if I look chubbier than the other girls or what it was just anything um which is it's weird for a lot of people to believe that i didn't like being the center of attention because Mm -hmm. i'm actually a very seemingly outgoing very Mm -hmm. confident person but in the inside it was a completely Mm -hmm. different story and and so when i started drinking for these events um i noticed that that worked Mm -hmm. um but you know it did it still didn't i didn't latch on to it immediately I, i would remember going to meet friends you know at earl's after work or the met um, or the place or a few other places we were going on Stephen Avenue. And um, I was not drinking during the day at this point. Uh, so I'd go walk into those places to meet them for a drink and just like sweating and fear of mm. what if people see me and I look, you know, I don't have the right outfit on and mm-hmm. I'm just, just, I'm not perfect. And, uh, but as soon as I had a couple of drinks, then, you know, everything mm-hmm. starts to get better. Confidence is better. Yeah. Um, it's just enjoyable night. But even then, like everything was still very manageable. But what was unmanageable at the time for me was still my appearance. Mm. I was spending money I didn't have on, you know, shoes and clothes and a car and things that I, I couldn't afford mm. and going into debt, which gave me more anxiety. Um, my eating behavior. So with image, that's a big part of my story is um, eating disorders. Mm. Um, I don't know. My sister thinks I may have caught... Uh, onto some of her behaviors. I don't remember this in mm-hmm. high school. She was having trouble with her own disordered eating. Yeah. And she believes I started in high school. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I became a blackout drinker and I definitely didn't remember. But mm-hmm. even without alcohol, you know, I've, I've really struggled to remember moments in my, in my life. And I was talking to my therapist about that the other day. And, you know, he said it's alcohol certainly was playing a factor at the end. But the fact that I'm never in the present, that I'm mm-hmm. always in my head about how do I look and just so involved with myself, I have no idea what is going on around me. I don't remember anything because mm-hmm. I was never really present Yeah, for a lot of years. It's just going back to middle, like to elementary school. Mm-hmm. Just I don't have those memories that people have. Like my earliest childhood memory, and it would be a handful of things I can remember between kindergarten and grade 12. Yeah. It's it's weird. I can um, relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just never present. Yeah. Because there was always, always something going on inside your head, yeah. right? Like it's just yeah. always. Yeah. Um. So, um, I have done everything within disordered in- eating of restricting, um, binging and purging, 
and exercise um, mm. evolve, and they still continue to play a role in my story. But I did notice there was, um, if I'd overeat in any way, shape, or form, I wanted to purge and get mm. it out. Now that was either through physically putting my fingers on my throat or through exercise. Mm. Um, just and I had a scale, and that number ruled my world. Um, and it is something I still struggle with today. And I have had so much shame around this, mm. more so than the alcohol and drugs. This yeah. is the first time I've, I've, I've talked to it um, with some people in my programs. I've alluded to it. But in the last six months, I've really started to be more and more open about it because, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, um, when people are vulnerable and honest in the meetings, it makes it so much easier for me to be. Mm. And I'll never forget an AA meeting I was at you know, early on in my sobriety and another member... Um, I heard her say that eating an eating disorder was part of her story now. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just latched onto her. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm not alone. Um, oh, you're definitely not alone. Yeah. yeah. And I almost thought it was just women, you know. And oh, I, definitely I, not, yeah. And, and the more I talk and the more I'm getting the Me Too back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was starting then too. Like it was, right there on. was there was obsessive behaviors. The scale was always there. Mm. Um, I had left my fiance. I called off my wedding about three weeks before our marriage, um, again, I'd been working downtown. I was drinking more. I was out. And him and I were not in a great relationship. Mm. I, when he proposed, I'd wanted to say no. Um, but my mouth said yes. And it was just horrible from that day forward. And planning and a, planning a wedding that I knew I didn't want to attend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. I like everything. Like buying the wedding. I'm like buying the wedding dress. So shopping with everyone. My mom's... <laughs> I'll pay for it. I'm like, no, I'll just pay for it because I'm like, I'm not going. So yeah, yeah. I don't want you out any money for this. Um, so then, you know, I'm living on my own. I had met this guy. Um, you know, he was Mr. Corporate Calgary investment banker, 10 years older. You know, he had everything that I thought I wanted, right. Mm. Uh, as far as materialistic things go and super attractive and smart. And, but all that does is make me feel like even, Mm. less of a person because the gap is even wider now you know and arguably if I had thought about it at that time or had the capacity to think about it of course he should be further in his career of course he should have more money of course Mm. this of course that but you know lo and behold we had a whirlwind kind of on and off and then then I'm living with him not too long after and and that's when I see his addictions I still was not struggling with anything um, other than my image around him but Mm. I was just working out like a maniac not eating a lot, more in the restricting phase mm-hmm. then, um, just to get perfect, yeah. quote unquote, whatever yeah. that is. And I learned quickly that he is a severe gambling addict. Um, I did not know any of this when I moved in with him. Um, and a it was a daily habitual um, pot smoker. Mm. Didn't drink much, um, but those were his two things. He would sit in his office and play online poker for hours, days, like, and, you know, I found myself within months doing the same thing. Just, I was so infatuated with him. I just wanted to be near him. Mm. Um, And I'll never forget, we went on this cruise and we were laying on the beach in Cabo and he gave me a pill of ecstasy. And I took that and it was like all of my problems have been solved. Mm. It was that moment I remember for me. Yeah. Because instantly it took away my appetite. That's oh, always been number one. I'm not sure. hungry. And I feel like the cat's ass mm-hmm. on this stuff. 
like laying in the beach and feeling the sand with my fingers and like feeling every grain and just mm-hmm. being just so enthralled with this drug. Yeah. Like, why would I not not have been doing this for the last how many years? Mm-hmm. I'm amazing just the way I am. And that's <clears throat> that's an important sentence because that is what I'm that is my goal for this life mm-hmm. is to feel that way, not all day, every day. Yep. But to have moments of that and not have to be in an altered state. Yeah, to know that place. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it is a very nice feeling, and I know it it's does exist in me. Yeah. And I've had <clears throat> moments of that in sobriety. Can I get you uh, some water or something? No, oh, you, I'm good. Okay, you got some. Um, thank you, though. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, yeah, so that after that, I was I was hooked on that. We went back to Calgary, and um, he'd always had like a, he had a huge bag of mushrooms, like a Safeway garbage bag full of mushrooms in the office. Um, he had probably a hundred hits of ecstasy. Cause he used to host parties all the time mm. and just always had favors for everybody. And I probably went through that ecstasy without him even knowing I was, I was doing it sneaky. Like that's when my sneaky behavior started. Mm-hmm. I was on that stuff probably five times a week. Like just, I mean, my pupils were probably a giveaway, but he was so stoned all the time. I don't think he cared or noticed, but and then, you know, then came the MDMA. He had a sandwich Ziploc bag full of it. After I'd gone through those, I found this bag. I thought it was cocaine mm. at first, which I had never done, and I, I refused to do cocaine. I'd, I'd seen it around, but I hadn't done it yet, yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I was always too scared to do. I'd read a book in high school, The Sweet Belly High, you know, Sarah, <laughs> Jessica Wakefield's friend that did a line of coke and had a brain aneurysm or something immediately and died. Mm-hmm. And that has always stuck in my head. That's so fun. I've heard that story too. You know, like yeah. it's just so I'm like, I'm just, I just never went near it, but yeah. yet. And then him and I, we split. It just was never good. Um, it was not a good relationship. It was fun for a while. Mm. And then just living with an addict. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of doing that. I've had the pleasure of living with one and being one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was, if they do say um, girls you know, marry their fathers. Mm. So my dad, my dad, (laughs) my dad is gambling untreated. Mm. Uh, He's never sought professional treatment that I'm aware of gambling addict. I think he has more times of remission and sobriety. Okay. But I don't know how much it rules his life. I don't talk to him about it Mm. um, anymore. It used to be really difficult for me. I remember calling him at home with dinner already saying, this is when VLTs first came into Canada. And calling him at the local bar and saying, are you coming home tonight? Mm-hmm. Like, and this is before cell phones and stuff and having to call there to see if he'd come home and not understanding why he just couldn't come home or why he didn't want to be with me. Yeah. You know, like you're leaving to see your girlfriend this weekend. Why can't we have dinner tonight? Like, mm-hmm. why am I not enough? Not understanding addiction at all. Yeah. And that that was beyond his choice at that point. So, you know, ultimately I went out from him, but... You know, one night I'd ask him if I could take the MDMA with me. The mm-hmm. sandwich bag was full. And he doesn't do this stuff. So I'm like, can I take the MDMA? And he's like, I'm not going to give you a bag of MDMA to go and, you know, fuck a bunch of other guys, as I believe what mm-hmm. he said. And what's interesting is I never did MDMA or ecstasy to go out. A few times we'd go to Tiesto or we'd go raving or if we're down in Vegas. I was mm-hmm. traveling with drugs. I didn't care. Um, I was invincible. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he would do it the odd time, but it, he just didn't really want to do it. But it was never really a sex drug for me. Mm-hmm. It was more about the, I'm not hungry. And I can I'm just, happy. Yeah, and I can sit. My head's not going. My head mm-hmm. stops. And my head had been going for so long. And that shitty message I tell myself for so long, and this stopped it. You know, to this day, I'm so surprised. Like, that is probably anything that could take me out. Mm-hmm. Because it's that powerful for me. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, me and my girlfriend would sit around and do MDMA and play Yahtzee for hours mm-hmm. and then smoke pot to come down off of it and go to bed. Um, you know, so kind of fast forward that life is going on. My career is advancing amazingly, um, doing very well, um, being somewhat promiscuous. Mm-hmm. I would say actually a lot, probably by a lot of people's standards. Um, probably not by mine, though. So yeah, okay. I think you're safe. Okay. So, um, you have to be pretty slutty to be slutty in my yeah, eyes. Yeah, like I don't remember doing my step four and getting to the sex inventory. <laughs> Even now, I'll get a text from somebody or I'll see a, po- a posting. I'm like, oh, yeah, him. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many guys in the city that I, I could be in a room of two of them and I may well have and I wouldn't know. Mm. Like I was yeah. a complete blackout drinker. Yeah. Um, and that's dangerous stuff. It, it is. Yeah. And I cannot, like, there were so many situations I put myself in that were just, that were just horrendous. Nothing had been too bad at this point, but then I discovered cocaine. And that's when things really started to kind of go mm. off the rails for me. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> so, As a non-cocaine user, I find that funny. Yeah. So, you know, it was to the point that I kind of dabbled in it. So then I had the dealer's number to mm-hmm. then me and the dealer are going for sushi because we're getting, I'm seeing him so often and we're hanging out and going to the poker room together. Poker became part of my story. Um, I was in the poker room five nights a week doing blow the whole time there till three, four, five in the morning. There was days I was going straight from there to a breakfast meeting at work mm. and then just had been drinking all night and doing blow all night and just an absolute mess and driving around this whole time too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like when your dealer, like I was, I'm sure I was at my peak, I was spending a thousand to $2,000 a week mm-hmm. just on blow. Um, it was getting very unmanageable. Um, it, huh, some of the stuff I was doing, like, I don't feel a need to go through all of the, mm. the negative stuff, mm-hmm. but it was just really, my work was starting to fail. Like in, in my job, I have a lot of autonomy in I don't need to be in the office. I can work mm-hmm. from home. I go meet my clients at their offices. I travel um, um, both in Western Canada and sometimes, you know, like down in the States and stuff too. And but as long as I was getting my work done and hitting mm-hmm. my sales targets and doing it under budget, nobody cared. Yeah. And I was doing that. So I was able to kind of carry that on for a long time. And, um, you know, there was relationships in there. There was another one. It was about three years. And, so things would slow down when I had, I didn't really date another addict. I mean, not a, I find there's so much addiction in a lot of the men I've dated, but nobody that was, um, nobody's life that was un, as unmanageable as mine. So when mm-hmm. I latched onto them, my life tended to get a bit better too, just by proxy of mm-hmm. theirs. Um, but everything was still very fake um, for me because I was still never accepting of who I was, I always needed to be better. Mm-hmm. And it's like I would date these men who were, like the next guy I dated for a few years, he is so well-to-do and so, and then money became, you know, even though I'm making 250 a year, 300 mm-hmm. a year, I, it's he's making a million, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, um, so it's trying to keep up, you know, and it was just, it was just constant. And at, at the core of all of it though, I really found, um, I was always coming back to just what do I look like? You know, I was, my bulimia had become very, um, had, had picked up quite a bit mm-hmm. when I was out of drugs, when I wasn't doing drugs. So then when I found the cocaine, that stopped again completely. Because mm-hmm. when I'm doing that, that stops. So I had to do so much cocaine because I'm not dealing with the underlying problem mm-hmm. in all of this. I'm just finding 
these solutions. And, I, you know, work was starting to slide. I was getting comments from um, senior management about um, getting by on my good looks and personality, mm. um, which is interesting in itself, but mm -hmm. probably quite true in hindsight. Um, yeah, it says a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was, so I, I checked myself into rehab. Um, I went out to Edgewood for mm -hmm. um, a month and I was, I started working with um, Dr. Hajela at Human Upwardly Mobile in town here. And I still work with that group today, but he had suggested going out to Edgewood. I had a friend in the program that had taken me to him when they thought that would be good. So it's funny looking back, I was adamant, this was like 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. I was adamant that I needed to go to rehab for cocaine and for gambling. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about my eat disordered eating. I didn't talk about, and I said alcohol, they're like, well, alcohol, I'm like, absolutely not alcohol. Mm -hmm. It is not an issue. And in my head, I truly believed that it was not. I'd go out and drink yeah. wine like everybody else was, but no more, maybe a bit more, but in my head, not even. So I was hanging out with mm -hmm. some pretty heavy drinkers. Yeah. And I had everything still. So I'm like, no, not alcohol. I'm like, you could not mm -hmm. tell me that. So, uh, you know, I went there for a month and I don't regret it. Um, I think it's a great place. I didn't see the benefit of it in the moment, mm -hmm. um, but I do see it now. So, you know, my, the gambling and, and cocaine are no longer part of my story. I don't think they ever went away because if I've come across, there's been in the last 10 years or almost since then, when I've seen cocaine, I've done it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, maybe handfuls of times every year, but I was still not, not doing it. But I, and I wasn't going to the poker room, but if I was in Vegas, it's not hard yeah. for me to drop five grand on craps and be like, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. I thought I didn't really gamble anymore, but it's just, I just was yeah. remo moving myself from those situations and alcohol becomes so prevalent that I, those other things just weren't as mm -hmm. uh, necessary anymore. So that's when alcohol really took off for me. And it, it, that, you know, so I'm in, I'm in 30, mid thirties by then. Um, and it's been a battle since, mm -hmm. and I'm 42 today. It's, like today, your birthday? No. Oh, okay. Like just as of, I got you. But the day goes. As of today, you as are still today. forty-two. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's so much that is it's it's sometimes it, I don't mean to underscore just how bad it got um, because it got really bad. I mean, there was a car accident up in Edmonton. I was I'd been dating somebody for a few years up, up there, and I'd been living with him for a bit. I was in between work and taking time off, and my alcohol addiction was very heavy. Um, I'd also gotten into Ativan. Mm. Um, I would be using Ativan to control. I'd started on it when I was still working. I would start on it. So I wouldn't have the shakes in the morning and cause I wouldn't be able to drink till later in the evening. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, it became, I was taking Ativan longer and later in the day and then starting to drink. And so you still have Ativan in your system mm. and it just becomes crazy. And then, you know, I was popping Ativan like Tic Tacs, any sign of anxiety, I'm just popping it, popping mm. it, popping it. And, um, yeah, getting into car accidents, uh, this one was pretty bad. It was in a roundabout and, uh, I don't even really remember what happened. I was so intoxicated and they asked me to blow. So they tell me, and I do kind of recall that and I refused to, cause I knew I was going to blow something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like it wouldn't have been 0.09. It would have been point two something, three mm -hmm. something. Cause in the past, the only one time I've ever, ever blown in my life was with a friend and. He'd ask me if I could drive. I'm like, no, I can't drive. He said, well, blow it. See what you're at. I'm like, if you're lower than me, you can drive. I'm like, I won't be lower than you. And I was, he was like, just blow. And I blew a 0.32. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, what have you been doing? You had two claws, <laughs> white claws. <laughs> and you're like, no, I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the 26 of vodka. Yeah, you know. that's right. So um, that accident, I guess, by not blow, by not blowing you, you admit defeat, um, guilt, I guess, mm-hmm. which I was not aware of. And so they towed my car and took me down to the jail. Don't remember much of it. I'd, I'd left my boyfriend's house. He had two houses and he was selling one. And I went to get something from the other one like around two in the afternoon. And I rolled into bed around, I don't know, three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And my cell phone had broke that day. So I had no way of getting a hold of him. So he, I'm just gone for 12 hours. With and I, I cab home. So my car's racked up and it's been towed and impounded. And I have to explain to him in the morning what happened. So, yeah, those mornings of waking up and it coming back to you. Mm-hmm. And what does come back to you is just, I didn't stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lawyer and paid him a king's ransom to make that go away so that I didn't have a criminal record. And that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everybody is as lucky. Um, that's, that's how some people take care of it, though. Yeah. Yeah. But it just, it really does speak to the kind of privilege that money does mm-hmm. afford people. Absolutely. And not that I'm rolling in money. When you're an addict, I don't know if you ever are. Yeah. Um, not for long if you got that's it. That's a thing. That's <laughs> a thing. So, yeah, the, the drinking had, had been kind of on off. I went to rehab again down in Minneapolis for a month. And that was for Ativan and alcohol this time. At this point, I'm accepting that, you know, addiction may be addiction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the food doesn't come up. Yeah. Um, I don't talk about it. So much shame around it. And that's such a powerful thing. It eh? is. And I think it's for somebody who really struggles with or cares seemingly to what's so much about what others think of her. It's just such a disgusting physical image to me, like especially the bulimia mm. and even the and like getting down like where I've had, I've never been hospitalized for anorexia. I have been very, very, very lean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a point where I'd start avoiding family members. People were commenting, um, and that'd be hard to hide that though it, it gets there yeah um, but it, it was um just the shame I, I don't know if it's just yeah the, the, the visuals of some of the stuff mm. it's not attractive it's you know also too food is a necessity for life and yeah. so every time you eat i don't want people thinking oh my god is she going to be sick or oh my mm. god is how much did she eat and then start commenting on am i eating enough am mm. i eating too much like it just it just yeah for a lot of reasons um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but there was some guilt around that too. I hated when um, people would comment on "you look so good." That's our society does women and and men too. It's so fucked up by yeah. commenting "you look so good, you lost weight." Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're so skinny now. Mm-hmm. Wow, how did you get so skinny? You know, yeah. like it's just like that's the goal. It's what mm-hmm. We're all striving for skinny, and you know, arguably, when I see a really lean, lean or you know, emaciated person, I find it very, very hard to look at. Mm-hmm. And so it's my disease is so strong in that field, though, and it plays such Powerful a game with me. Shit. It's you know it's the the ruling of the scale where I've you know I've I've smashed scales and thrown them out and not had one for a day, and then went yeah. and another one immediately. It's like dumping alcohol down the drain yeah. and going back out to the liquor store three. Because oh, the same thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but you have to eat. Yeah, you do. You can't just abstain completely. Yeah. So it's you know, and sometimes it's like when you have that first switch, when you have that first uh, cookie, it can become mm. fuck it. Yeah. I'm just going to eat everything in the house and then get rid of it because, mm-hmm. and it's so controlling. It's a very controlling, yeah. as an addict, we, I like to control things. Um, and our big book talks about that, it, controlling the show, mm-hmm. being the director, the actor, the producer, like mm-hmm. everything. 
Um, and, alcohol, and food is such a controlling uh, your body, yeah. how I treat my body. I get to control that completely, mm-hmm. or so I think. My disease is very much in the front mm-hmm. seat on that. Um, I'm working on getting him to the back. And <laughs> right now he's getting like his one leg back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's way better than it's ever been in my life. Right on. Um, I'm glad <clears> to hear that. And, but it's, it's going to be a life journey. And that mm-hmm. is something I've, I've come to accept. So, you know, all of this being said and done, like I had done rehab twice. I'd done AA. I'd come mm-hmm. in and out of the rooms. I'd never really latched on to AA after treatment. I'd come in. I had like a month or two of sobriety. But my my... I, without getting into the really low lows of, of some of the stuff that happened, mm-hmm. my health was deteriorating. I'd had a couple of seizures. I had acute pancreatitis. Mm. Um, I was in the ER detoxing more times than I care to admit. I was embarrassed by it. Um, you know, nurses were coming in and I have to, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've had very good treatment from our healthcare mm-hmm. providers when I've gone in and I'm detoxing and the, I, I've, I've, I've had kindness, and I know that's mm-hmm. not always the case with healthcare providers who don't yeah. get addiction, um, and a lot don't because they just kind of have that stop mm-hmm. attitude. And um, but I just couldn't. Like I was again dating the wrong people, heavy drinkers. I was there was there was always something inside of me. There was always something inside of me. Just this nagging voice. I know. I know it's my it's my conscience. It's it's saying this is not meant for you to live this way. Life is not mm-hmm. meant to be lived this way. And, you know, so I would always rein it in just before, you know, I had cirrhosis or just before uh, I lost a job. Mm-hmm. I would usually quit because I would feel like they're onto me. Mm-hmm. So I would quit yeah. and run an escape. I've run an escape and spent time in Thailand. I've run an escape, you know, to the boyfriend in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I've gotten into a place out in Invermere. I've traveled the world um, and just, uh, you know, it's an old saying and everybody says that the problem with, you know, going to Thailand is that you're still there with yourself. Mm. Like you still show up. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you know, you just have less money in your bank account. <laughs> Somehow you found a way to get there. <laughs> so, um, this time so COVID hit and, um, my drinking, like I was at the point where I couldn't get through a night, um, without having to get up. I would maybe get three hours of sleep and I'd have to go do shots of vodka. Mm. Gone were the days of worrying about going to a different liquor store or being embarrassed mm. of going right at 10 a.m. Um, that was that was long gone. I was in there um, shaking uncontrollably, trying to work still. Um, mm. You know, with COVID, I remember like doing the Zoom meetings and, you know, my coffee mug was just pure vodka. Mm. Um, and it was, I live alone. So the problem with living alone is you don't have anybody to call you out in your bullshit. Mm. You can and COVID was perfect for that because now I'm not yeah. only I have to stay at home. Um, I don't have to see family members who have over the years mm-hmm. had interventions. My sister had cut me off actually during COVID and said, "You are no longer able to, or I just can't have you in my life and mm-hmm. my kids' life." I'm very, as much as I don't have children, I'm very very close to my nieces and mm-hmm. nephews. And yeah, they're treasures for us. They are. Mm-hmm. And my um, older sister had had said, you cannot see me or the kids. Mm. Um, And she kills me to do this, but I have to, unless you have six months of sobriety. And like right away, it's fuck you. Your life is so perfect. Like, Mm. look at what you do. (laughs) Like, just a complete tantrum loser. Mm -hmm. I was like, just so, like, just self-pity for a while. You know, and I was, I had been dating a guy for on and off who I knew was not my long-term anything. He had his own issues. And, you know, we had, around Christmas, we had kind of had a blow up. So 
we, we, kind of come January, we'd taken space. I was drinking really heavy and uh, I was talking to him and he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and it had spread, mm -hmm. it was metastasizing, it was everywhere. And then he had a brain tumor and his demise went really quick. He was in hospice within a couple of months um, and passed away ultimately that July. Oh, so and sorry. so my, my drinking, what a great excuse for an addict, like what yeah. was me. Um, and I got managed to get sober on Ativan, like stay healthy. I was mm -hmm. so afraid of having seizures because yeah. that was a real a risk for me. Um, I managed to stay sober towards the end just because I wanted to remember something mm -hmm. about him and I knew I wouldn't if I was drinking. Um, but as soon as he passed away, then I went on tilt for about 10 days, yeah. like just, just after it. And then I finally, I called my doctor, um, at, over at, um, human upwardly mobile hum and, um, said, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done. Mm. And so I said, what do you want to, <clears throat> what do you want to do? And I didn't want to do rehab again. I've done that. And. Um, I didn't feel like spending another 20 grand was um, necessary. So mm -hmm. we developed a program for me of um, some severe counseling. Like, I've always done counseling, well, sporadically mm -hmm. done counseling there when I feel like I wanted to get better. Mm -hmm. So I beefed up in my counseling again. I did neurofeedback this time mm -hmm. with a psychologist for the first, I still do it. Um, at the beginning, though, I was doing neuro, for the beginning of my sobriety, I was doing probably three A meetings a day. Mm -hmm. I was getting individual counseling once a week, doing group therapy once a week, and seeing this doctor every two weeks at the beginning. Um, and neurofeedback two times a week for an hour. And people have asked me kind of along the way, like, why this time? Like, what worked? Mm. Like, what worked? And I think people are always looking for, like, what's the secret to this? Like, I can tell them, do this and you'll mm. be good. And it doesn't work that way. Um, because I, not shockingly, it happened before when I got sober in the past. Mm. As soon as I quit drinking then the disordered eating comes right back. Mm -hmm. And this time I came back with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. um, so, and still not really talking about it. Even with these um, healthcare workers that I've been working with for over a decade, my counts and my individual therapist, um, we, we just talked again earlier this week, and <clears throat> he is, he, sometimes I don't see how much growth I've had in some areas, mm -hmm. you know, take somebody else to point it out, but he is really, um, amazed by how much growth there's been in talking about this and bringing it into my group mm -hmm. therapy as well. And you know, I've been talking to members through the through AA, and, and we're looking at starting uh, in-person meeting for people who deal with disordered eating right on. Um, in Calgary because there just isn't anything. I've searched far and wide for mm -hmm. an in-person meeting. I personally do better with in-person than yeah. Zoom. Uh, there are Zoom meetings available for these other disorders mm -hmm. too, but or addictions. Um, but now that I, I have a network of women. Mm -hmm. And um, and men that I know would benefit from this, so we're we're in the, in the infancy of, of getting something going. But well, I hope you keep at it because it needs something needs to happen. Because there was prior to COVID, there was a anorexia and bulimic anonymous. Yeah, ABA in person. Yeah, ABA. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now that hasn't been back. I'm imagining. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah. Edmonton used to have one. Um, yeah, isn't week. that where it started in Alberta? Um, yeah, so there's yeah. a big, apparently a big eating disorder clinic in Edmonton. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, so, and actually the one of the women there that kind of started this is one of the authors of the ABA mm. book. Okay, um, cool. So, yeah, that's been, you know, so kind of like what the recovery looked like and what it looks like today. Mm -hmm. um, it was very much 
everybody, my, I went off work. Um, I told everybody, not everybody, um, but I just started, to, I stopped. I cut out everybody from my life mm. other than recovery focused people. That was it. Yeah. There was no family. I'm very close to my family to this day. You know, problems of childhood have actually um, created very healthy, very good relationships in adulthood with, with my sisters and my and my parents. Right on. Um, but I didn't talk to anybody for six months and and longer. Uh, mm. I, but I was I think I had six months in my head because that was what my sister had said to me, and I wanted that's how much I wanted yeah. to see those kids. And I know people say you can't do this for other people, and I don't think you can long term. No, but you can for a bit. Sober. Yeah. But if that's the kickstart you need, if it's yep. a kid, if it's a spouse, if it's an mm-hmm. employer getting your ass into that room, then, you know, that's yeah. fine. Sometimes you need a boost, right? Yeah. But yeah. then you have to do the work to stay there. That's what I found. Yeah. I never done, I had never done the 12 steps. I'd read mm. the, I mean, I'd gone through them in, in tr- treatment. We always kind of got to step five in treatment. I did a one step five in treatment um, where I did talk a little bit about the food and the sex, um, but not much. And I didn't realize how much of a role sex and men's attention mm-hmm. played in my story until it's been, until I've been willing to look at it. Yeah. I've been told this for a long time, mm-hmm. but I was unwilling to look at it. You know, we talk about having this blind spot. Um, and I now have an appreciation for that blind spot because when I went to Edgewood in 2013, I was adamant alcohol was not a problem. You could not tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I consider myself to be a relatively educated um, person. And so now that I know I had a blind spot, a mm-hmm. severe blind spot to this huge problem, and I could not see it, no. that allows me today when I sit down with professionals or other members in the group mm-hmm. or people who have the ability to maybe see things a little bit more um, clearly than I do in my life, I, be- I don't always believe what they're saying right away, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to, willing to listen to it, yeah. to hear it. And I did not know that you know, the male attention, but when I look at it, I'm in a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry. Um, you know, the poker room, the poker was great, but what was really great, it's 95% men. Mm-hmm. So when I walked into that room, I owned it. And mm-hmm. like, I, that was, that was such a boost to the ego mm-hmm. and I was actually good at it. Mm-hmm. So like that, it was even better. Like I was a dream to these other addicts and mm-hmm. not seeing it that way at the time, but just a huge ego boost. And so, you know, this time in recovery, I threw everything at it. Like I'm willing to look at anything mm-hmm. that you guys tell me, because what I've been doing is not fucking working. And I am sick of my, I'm sick of waking up in the mirror and just crying because I just mm-hmm. hate who I've become. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like when's it ever going to be enough? I know logically there'll never be a number on that scale that I'll look in the mirror that day and be like, okay, we've made it. We've arrived. We're in utopia. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Janine. You nailed it. Yeah. Like that's never going to happen. You know, it's never because I've hit that number and I've gone below it. And I've gone below it, and I've gone below, and it's just like it's not the number. Yeah. And I know that logically, but I'm still very much on the journey of connecting feelings and emotions to knowledge and logic. Mm. That's a huge disconnect for me. Um, it, I think, it, and it happens for lots of people when they come in, right? Because yeah. like the logic we were living under out there is way different, right? It's it seems logical to us to do the things we did, yeah. but it's illogical. So we're learning like a new process. Well, and I also think too that, um, you know, when you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people, mm-hmm. um, a problem doesn't really stand out. And nobody in my life at that point was to call my bullshit. Mm-hmm. And anybody that did along the way were no longer a part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, my sisters, yeah. when I when I 
at one point they tried to have an intervention on me before I went to Thailand. Uh, they were worried and they should have been worried. Um, mm. I thought they were annoying. I'm like, you guys don't run my life. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Mm -hmm. I can do what the fuck, when I want, how I want. There's a reason why I don't have these things is because mm -hmm. I'm a selfish fucking bitch. <laughs> and I... Um, That's fair. You know, and so I never thought I was hurting anybody else. Mm -hmm. I just never did. It's like, I live my own life. I don't, like, you guys live yours. You guys do what you want to do and let me do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you guys to pay for rehab. I'm not asking you guys to pay for my drinking or pay for this or pay for that. Like, and that's what it was coming down to me. If you're mm -hmm. not paying for it, you don't get a vote, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm just, <laughs> um, just unwilling to look at things. So this time yeah, I came in, um, I think I had gotten beaten down so much that I was just ready for a different life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you know, it's been, it's been interesting. I went into the rooms. It took me a while. I mean, I was detoxing for quite some time. Like the first mm -hmm. month is a blur. Yeah. Uh, I met some friends uh, really early on, one girl and I, who, uh, her name is Jess. She won't mind me giving her a shout out because she knows I'm here right now and she wished me good luck before I came. Right on. Uh, our she's journeys, pretty rad. She's awesome. She has been a huge part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. um, she would probably be this, you know, so, well, she is single-handedly the um, biggest support I have in recovery. Okay. Um, yeah, we just, um, I don't know, sometimes... Yeah, I don't. I think it's just one of those things. It's kismet, you know. Like mm. we came in around the same time, um, and we have similar interests. And actually, I think we were both just actually discovering what our interests in life were, other than drinking and drugging. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know. You know, we were. I've been living here for in Calgary for you know, on and off for over twenty years, mostly on. And I'd never really been into the mountains like mm -hmm. hiking. And now her and I like that is a, a very frequent um pastime of ours really that's not something you used to do not really at all no it started in sobriety because it looks been... so natural when you're out there like yeah 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 i feel like a mountain girl now for sure um but you know i was always into running mm -hmm. uh, and fitness but i'd never really gone hiking in the mountains yeah. ever um i was one of those people that called a hike you know if you were just out walking for three hours that was like a hike and now I, I still know, call now it I a hike i know <laughs> I, I, that's I always people like when you say you want to go for a hike what do you mean because there's, yeah. different, there's varying degrees of hike um, now. So, um, you know, just having somebody in the program um, that, and I didn't open up to her immediately. Like, she mm. didn't even know about my disordered eating um, until, oh gosh, I don't even know how long into our recovery. I would say the last six months is probably like six months ago I started mm. bringing it into conversation, yeah. um, kind of right before my year. Because I was starting to feel like a fraud, you know, mm. in recovery. So I was still very, very um, in the throes of addiction yeah, and not talking about it. And that was a really, it felt fake in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Like this, this recovery isn't real. And I've learned to give myself some, um, cut myself some slack there and mm -hmm. have some compassion for this process because this will be a lifelong thing for me. Yeah. And I think I came into this looking at this as not that I meant to do it that way, but Kind of like, you know, I'll do this, I'll do this, and I'll get mm. fixed, and then I'll be good. Yeah. Like, not that I won't have to keep coming to meetings, but, you know, just things will be good. But not really realizing that, you know, drinking was not the problem in my life. As you can mm. see, drinking didn't really, it was only a solution for a portion. Mm. You know, ecstasy was a solution. MDMA was a solution. Um, but none of them um, in themselves um, was ever really my problem. Mm. My problem is my head and my thinking. Yeah. 
You know, and I've, I've heard that said many times. He's thinking. just going to grab a picture of us while we're yeah. talking. Yeah, and, and a lot of people will call this a thinking disease. Mm -hmm. And that very much for me is, is the case. Yeah. And because even in recovery, which, you know, it's been almost a year and a half, I have very few, I shouldn't say that, it's getting better. But mm -hmm. there's still lots of times where I've, you know, met people in recovery. I've been out in recovery and I still can't, I still can't really remember it because I'm not in the now. Mm -hmm. I'm still very much in my head. And that's yeah. that's around the the body image and and mm -hmm. the and the um, the self loathing that comes with all of that. It is a really it can be a really um, it's extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will be the hardest thing I've had to do in recovery. Yeah. Um, but it's getting easier. Like I, I'm I'm even surprised at how much I'm talking about it now. Mm -hmm. I knew I wouldn't omit it from my story because I I want to be that voice if somebody else hears that mm -hmm. in those rooms that hasn't heard it. You know, I heard, I was listening to one of their stories this morning, actually. You know, I think it was Chris that was on and talking about identifying um, as queer in a meeting mm -hmm. so that somebody else who's in there, mm -hmm. um, it gives them the allowance or the comfort to know, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not alone in this room. And if they accept him or her mm -hmm. uh, in this room and they've been here longer, then maybe they'll accept me too. Yeah. And um, and that was, that I was afforded that from others in this program mm -hmm. by hearing them share it in their story. And... I go to a lot of speaker meetings Friday night at, at Glenmore. Okay. And I'm hearing more and more of the eating coming up in people's stories. Yeah. And so... Yeah, you will more and more, too. And yeah. yeah. And as you're open, more willing to talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, I got a sponsor right away. I went through the steps with her. I had a great time with her doing it. I know people talk about step four and step five as being really challenging and hard. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's uncomfortable for me. It was uncomfortable. But it was... It's a necessary means to an end, and um, and it's easier than not doing it. Trust it me. is, yeah, it is, and um, yeah. I, I, again, people have asked you know, what what's worked. Was it the neurofeedback? Was it mm -hmm. AA? Is it the counseling you're going? To? Should I go to your counselor? Mm -hmm. I don't know what you should do, but why not try everything that's available to you until yeah. you find out what works for you? Yeah, and you're not going to find out what's available to you laying on your couch watching Netflix. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm telling myself because that was what I was doing. <laughs> um, so. Well, if, if, if I was supposed to come up with the idea and do it, I would come up with it by now. Yeah. So if I haven't, I'm not doing it. Well, that's exactly it. And so, you know, it's, um, I love AA meetings. Like when mm -hmm. I go, I go mostly to daily reflections and to the Glenmore um, group and sporadically throughout the day, whether it's the noon or the five or mm -hmm. evening. But I've made so many friends in recovery. Yeah. And, you know, I used to think when I was coming into recovery, and I know I'm not unique here, that, you know, life was ending and, mm -hmm. you know, boredom was about to set in for life. And it is so the opposite of that. Um, right. I've never had more honest relationships in my life mm -hmm. and ever. And I, and to have that many of them where mm -hmm. there's just no bullshit. I don't ever get panicky even coming here. I like to talk to you. I don't get panicky because I'm not lying about anything. Mm -hmm. I was always telling so many goddamn lies and pretending <laughs> to be something I wasn't. Yeah. And I was always anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, and are people going to find out that I'm a fraud? Are people going to know? If they, if they really knew me, would they like me? Mm -hmm. Well, now I know these people in these rooms that like me. They actually do really know me. They're some of the few on this planet that do. Mm -hmm. And I'm still so accepted. Yeah. And um, it doesn't, it, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, what you've done yesterday, it's, it's what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's, it's been, it's been, um, it's been interesting. It's been interesting to say the least, but, you know, celebrating a year of sobriety was, you know, 
I had a lot of people saying to me, um, what does it feel like a year, a year? How did mm-hmm. you get to a year? And I don't want to, I don't want to take away from how hard that mm-hmm. is to get to, but it has become just so much of my life. Like I have, mm-hmm. I've built, I've, at this point in my life, my recovery is so strong. I have such armor built around me mm-hmm. from relapse of alcohol because in the past when I've quit drinking, got my liver back to regular size, mm-hmm. got some more money in the bank, you know, I've got my eyes are white again. They're mm-hmm. not getting that yellow tinge. Um, I'm getting shit together. But meanwhile, my eating disorder is picking mm. up. I start to get so sick of the eating disorder, I say, fuck it, and I go back to drinking. Mm. And that's happened time and time and time again. And this time, instead of choosing that and saying, fuck it, this is mm. too powerful, I'm just going to drink instead, uh, I'm choosing to talk about that. Mm. And it's losing its power. Yeah. And it will, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing. And, you know, like I said, the people, when I thought about coming to recovery, I thought it was going to be boring. I cannot keep up with the amount of friends. Like I feel, I'm starting to feel bad. It's almost like I, I, I should stop committing myself to stuff because I'm going to end up having to cancel mm. because there's so many people I want to go hiking with and I want to go paddleboarding with. I want to just go for a walk with or a coffee with or for dinner with. Um, and everybody that I meet has such a cool story. Like mm-hmm. nobody, nobody is living a boring life and decides to go to a there's some pretty wicked people in there that were doing some pretty cool things Mm -hmm. and their addiction doesn't define them and they're still that person so much more and there's so many type a intelligent Mm. um interesting people you Mm. aren't like it's so many entrepreneurs incredible never ceases to amaze me i think the people that i'm now i look forward to you know for what do i want my recovery to look like as i you know as i walk through it and i'm always looking to our elders in the program to see their balance and you know, one of the things I'm seeing is very common is the importance of the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And so many people have incorporated self-employment into their um, lifestyle so it can afford them recovery. Mm-hmm. Not so it can afford them to travel the world two times a year mm-hmm. um, or be driving a new car every year. Um, it's so that they can really have recovery. They can mm-hmm. be at a 9.30 meeting every day of the week because that is what is going to allow them to not drink every day, mm-hmm. one day at a time. Yeah, you know. So, um, you know, it's it's just the encouragement I see from the rooms. Um, I, I, I'm so appreciative of it to the point too where I meet people um, now who I know AA is what they use mm-hmm. to get um, sobriety, um, and then I'll, you know I'll be talking to them, I'll run into them, you know, the odd time at a meeting. Uh, people have been in the program for 10 years and, you know, they're like, I haven't been to a meeting in you know, a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I actually get to the point where I'm saying to them, you know, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I'm like, isn't it fortunate that um, some of us still go mm-hmm. um, because we need people there to open the doors for the newcomer? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's, it's um, selfish to not give back. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm doing it perfectly. I, I've not sponsored anybody yet. Um, well, there's no one way to give back. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like I'm. But there are lots of ways to not give at all. Right. And yeah. Just showing up is contributing yeah. to the, fellow, the fellowship. Yep. 100%. Sharing when you're asked to share. Uh, chairing a meeting. I, yep. I've, I've been chairing meetings. I've actually just I have orientation out at Spy Hill next week to go into. Right the on. Good for you. So yeah, I, I um, my sister, her and her husband used to work um, at the prison in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's in Kamloops. And they were both corrections officers, and I would I would be talking to her. My relationship with my sisters has never been better. Right. By on. the way, 
uh, and with the kids, but. Um, I'm not surprised to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we had a family dinner last night. It was, it was awesome. Um, you know, talking to her when she was working in this, this prison, I asked her if there was an AA meeting, because I don't know if you know about Kamloops, but it's in a pretty bad pandemic for addiction right now. It is one of the worst places in Canada. The crime right there and the addiction right there, mm. it's, it's, it's sad. Um, yeah, I heard it's out of control. It is. Um, and, but there's no uh, rehab or AA mm. um, being brought into the prisons there, which I just find absolutely flabbergasting. Mm. And um, I do believe people can be reformed and, For sure. and rehabilitated. You know, I was just before, not just before I came here, but earlier this afternoon, um, I'd gone into Dollarama. And I'm standing in this very long line, which is fine. And I can hear the screaming before I see it. There's, there's a guy in there just losing his shit mm. uh, and screaming about fentanyl. And you guys don't know what I've done for you. And, and I know people who are overdosing on this stuff and dying. And I, what I gave for this country and having a complete and total manic episode. Mm. Um, and people are, you know, and right away, my judgment goes up. Yeah. My, I want to get out of here. Like mm -hmm. My fear, like that, just that immediate yeah. fear of seeing somebody who's a little bit uncaged. Mm -hmm. And if there's been drugs thrown on that fire, yeah. um, it is a very scary thing to be near. Yeah. You know, and even alcohol, like hearing some of the stories, like alcohol, I never was um, a violent, angry drunk. Mm -hmm. I was a promiscuous, um, blackout drinker. I mean, there's no winner in this race. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm better. But I'm never really around like that anger, like that mm -hmm. severe alcoholism of or, or addiction where people go completely postal. Mm -hmm. Anytime I hear people yelling, it brings me back to childhood immediately. It makes me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But um, what I am so grateful for today is my immediate first response is, you know, flight, get the fuck out of mm -hmm. here, fear. Uh, but then secondly, it's, okay, this mm -hmm. is probably a person who's having other mental health or addiction mm -hmm. issues. And does not need this situation to be escalated, mm -hmm. needs it to be de-escalated, you know, and um, the unfortunate part is not everybody can, I think we all have immediate judgment. Mm -hmm. It's what we do with that judgment. Yeah. Um, I find myself even in meetings, you know, something will be said and I'm quick to you know, mm. judge, but that's still the innate thing in me because I'm quick to judge myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it's, it's just part of life. That's not something I'm trying to get rid of. I, we need judgment in life to make choices. Um, yeah, if we don't have discernment, we're not going to last very long. No, so. no. So, um, but, you know, I just, the more I spend time in recovery and the more I see um, just how much work there is yet to be done, mm -hmm. um, it makes me start to think bigger scale, like, what can I do to give back? Mm -hmm. AA is definitely the, the foundation of my program, mm -hmm. and I will always continue to look for ways to give back in there. But um, mental health is mm -hmm. something I'm very passionate about as well. Um, and, um, you know, just other avenues of what recovery looks like, because mm -hmm. unfortunately, AA does not work for everybody. No, it's and not the only one thing out there. So. It, it isn't. And you know, for yeah. whatever reason, people's prides when they keep them out of those doors. For sure. It can be a very intimidating place to walk into. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear was always running into somebody I knew. Yeah. Um, logically knowing that if they're there and I'm there, they're no better than if that's, mm -hmm. If I'm, you know, if I'm thinking I'm a lesser than person because I have addiction, and I did believe that for a long time, that I was a lesser mm -hmm. person because I couldn't control myself. And, you know, typically in life when I've really wanted something, I've gone and got mm -hmm. it. So if I really wanted this, I should be able to do it on my yeah. own. And the reality is I just was not capable. 
Um, but there are some people that will never walk into those rooms just out of pride, and that's unfortunate. So mm-hmm. um, I'm always looking for ways to, to help out recover. I love what you guys are doing. So mm, shout out you. to you guys. Thank you very and much. And I hope you don't mind me plugging you everywhere I go because I, I do and I will. I, I think it's gr- very nice of you. I love it. Yeah, um, thank you. It, it's just, it just breaks down so many barriers for people because mm-hmm. um, it just makes it so much more relatable. And it's a resource for people um, that mm-hmm. may not otherwise have it. And I know there's so much out there. It can become overwhelming to be like, where do I start? Mm-hmm. What do I latch on to here? And, yeah. and there's things I've come across in addiction that um, uh, I think may have worked, might work for me and mm-hmm. other things that don't. But until I try it, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just what I've learned by having knowing, knowing I have that blind spot. That has been mm-hmm. a big catalyst in my life is knowing I have that. And it's not a one-time done thing. Like, okay, well, no, you didn't, it's not. You know, you didn't yeah. know you were an alcoholic, but now you know, so you're clear. You can see clearly now. Yeah. I still have a very, <laughs> very huge blind spot um, in my yeah. life. And same here. It's called part of my brain. I don't know right. what it is. Yeah. And we all have it. And yeah. and it it, it it still surprised me sometimes because I'll look at people. Like I was in group therapy last Thursday, and I was saying something to my group, and they're both all looking at me like I've got two heads and. Mm. I'm like, what? They're like, you just can't see it, can you? And I'm like, they can see it. Like, we're, I won't mm-hmm. get into what we're talking about, but they can see it clear as day. Yeah. And I literally cannot see it. Yeah. And I'm still flabbergasted now, almost like three days later, still trying to find it. Yeah. But the difference between, you know, now and, you know, 10 years ago, a year and a half ago, is when they say that, mm-hmm. I would have been like, no, fuck you. My yeah. wall goes up. You shut them like, out. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the messaging I'm getting here, so I'm going to stop coming. Because mm-hmm. that's simple. I don't have to hear it anymore if I'm not here. Yeah. So I just don't show up and I'll stop, stop paying you guys for me to come here and mm-hmm. lie to me, you know, like, so now I'm, I'm, I guess that's probably the biggest part of my recovery and, and will, I hope continue to be part of my journey for the rest of my life is being willing to, um, admit I might not know everything. <laughs> mm. That's a huge thing, Janine, though. <laughs> you like, know, or that's what's huge. best for me. Yeah. What's best for me at any given point in time. Um, and, and that's a huge reality to face, right? It is. Mm-hmm. And so it's just then a matter of having people who aren't going to feed me shit, it's just bullshit that I want to mm-hmm. hear. And because so we're all, I'm guilty of it. If you're doing it with others, it's just the easier, softer way. Oh, you're fine. You know, you're mm-hmm. fine. That'll go away. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, everybody does that. It's fine. Okay. Well, okay. Get checked by that. I, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's been. It's been a journey, but I'm very grateful for everything I have today. I'm grateful to be here with you. I'm super grateful you came on. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think I have, I don't know how long we were. I don't think I have much more to share with you guys, but. That's, that's great. You've said lots of, you've said lots of important stuff, I think. Well, I, I can't just garner one thing from what we've talked about, but the, the fact that it's important to be willing to try whatever we need to try, like in recovery, right? Like, just like we might have been willing to try any drug out there right. that came our way. I know I was. Um, well, mostly dr- most drugs and yeah. definitely any booze that came my way. Um, but like now, we have to. Because if we only have one thing in our toolbox, it's not going to last. Well, if it doesn't work, right? right? And, you know, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, I was always searching for that one thing that would work in addiction. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking I was finding it, but realized I can't do ecstasy every day or MDMA every day. Because, you know, that's a little bit more apparent when you're doing mm-hmm. it. Um, so, again, just as much as I was trying for a trying for a quick fix to a bigger problem, yeah. 
Now I'm looking for a solution to that still very much problem, mm -hmm. um, but that um, allows me to hit those levels of utopia, have those yeah. spiritual experiences, which I've had multitudes of times mm -hmm. in sobriety, um, without an altered state, because that's even more powerful. Yeah. I'm not going to take away from some of the experiences I had on drugs and alcohol. Some of them were absolutely wonderful. And and honestly, some of them were very real. Yeah. Like whether yeah. or not people admit that or... Yeah. And it was my, that is who I was at that time. So yeah. that was real to me. Well, and yeah, it was not only real to us, but it also was a part of our growth. Like just as much as people might think we don't start really growing until we get in here, that's not true. Like yeah. we're growing out there. We're just not necessarily growing in all the ways we need to, right? Like because we're avoiding so much of life. Yeah. But once we sober up, we have a chance to stop avoiding and just really lean into everything, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, and anytime I've been offered anything, like people said, go out to the Mount. Mm -hmm. You know, so I go out there for women's um, toilet retreats. That's mm -hmm. an area where I had a, a, a spiritual experience out there, just walking around the grounds out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and I don't know what it is. You know, people talk about religion and this and, and AA and, um, I didn't grow up with religion. Um, it's not a huge part of my life now. I've always considered myself to be quite spiritual. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that I've always felt there was something bigger than me. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, that, that voice in me, even when I was in the throes of addiction um, and wondering what I'm going to do with my life, there was always just that inside, that, just that gut mm -hmm. feeling, intuition, conscience, whatever that is. I now see that as my higher power speaking to me. Yeah. And it's just, what am I doing? Am I allowing that voice to be heard? Or am I distracting it with so much noise that I'm shoving it down? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and now I know I have in my head, I have two voices. I consider my higher power and my disease. Mm -hmm. And they're often a battle with each other. So my goal in life, when I, when I first started on this, was to get rid of the diseased brain and just have this mm -hmm. um, kind of present... Um, aware being left behind but now I, I do know what the reality is that disease is never going to go away from me mm -hmm. it's never going to be gone it's just how much of a voice am I going to give it mm -hmm. how loud does it get to be how much yeah. does it rule my life and there's going to be moments along the way where it's louder and it's driving force in some of my behaviors mm -hmm. but that's when I know okay I need to double down on something or I need to be doing something differently because mm -hmm. I know that I can um I know how to get rid of it. It's just, I need some, to do some work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just takes work. Well, we're looking, the solutions we're looking for now are sustainable ones, yeah. right? We're just looking for things that can, can help us over the long run, right? Yeah. As opposed to just, and to avoid feelings, we don't need anything. We just need to feel the feelings. Like, we just don't want to live in them. I'm very right? tired. That's been the biggest struggle right now is, mm -hmm. and that's where food can really come into play. Yeah, um, I could see that being. Well, and it's also again, it gives you that sense of control. Yeah. Particularly when you're restricting, mm -hmm. um, you have that sense of control. And then if I want to, if, if I'm not restrict, that can be very powerful. Like I feel like I'm powerful when I'm yeah. doing that, or I'm working out aggressively. And then to avoid the feelings, that's where a binge and purge for mm -hmm. me personally can be very. In my, that's the that's the easier, softer way. That's the trick in your mind. I don't yeah. want to feel this feeling, so I'm just going to crush whatever for mm -hmm. food to numb and and avoid yeah. it and just netflix and binge literally mm -hmm. um to avoid the feelings i don't like sitting in them yeah and that's that's you know that is again a part of my story and a very much a part of my reality mm -hmm. on both ends of those extremes it's but been a part of mine too yeah, yeah for sure it has yeah, yeah. like the disordered eating coming in i i mean 
I've noticed most of the people I work with have a really poor relationship with food. If it's not like a very, like an extremely poor where it leads to disorder eating regularly, it's extremely poor in terms of just in general, like a general, and myself included, like yeah. came in absolute terrible relationship with food, right? Yeah. I was taught that from the time I was young. You eat three meals a day, you yeah. eat all this food, make sure you eat fill all your, your food, fill your plate, yeah. clear it. right? All that stuff. Yeah, you clear it, all that stuff. And then, of course, by the time we're adults, we don't really understand food. Like, I don't. I didn't. Yeah. I had a terrible relationship with it for most of my life, right? And then the last few years, it's changed. Like, yeah. when, when I started to focus on just the solution as opposed yeah. to trying to control it. All well, the time. And if I have to look, it's like, what am I trying to avoid in this moment? Precisely. That is the question I need to ask myself in that moment. Mm -hmm. Am I at a place in my program where I'm doing that in the moment? Mm -hmm. Not always. And I know prayer and meditation are a, a very good um, tool to utilize in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm starting to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it's, it is, it's shocking to me how ruled I can be by some of these behaviors mm -hmm. uh, when I know there's a solution out there, but yet I'm still not willing to give the yeah. control quite yet. Yeah. Like I'm holding on to it. And, and I, that's I'm, okay. Yeah. And I, and, and like I said, I talk to my therapist and stuff, but even seeing that I'm doing that mm -hmm. and having the willingness to potentially do things differently. Yeah. And there are, so it's not all the time. So now it's, you know, it's right. the trajectory is getting better. So, and it's an, it's on an arc, right? It like is. It's on an arc for sure. You're going to gradually just be able to do it more seamlessly. Yeah. And is it ever going to be perfect? Probably not because like we've talked about, it's food. It is. It's something we need to live. Yeah. Therefore, those of us who have trouble with it yeah. ha are going to have to negotiate these things. Well, right? and it's the same thing with exercise. I need to be fit. You need to have movement Absolutely. in your life so that you can be physically fit. Yeah. But I can really overdo it. Yeah. Um, just like a good addict. Like yeah. I can, and you know, my mood can be severely altered if I have not got in mm. so many steps in a day or oh, yeah. if I've not gotten in a workout in a day. Mm. Um, to the point where, you know, I've been asked to go on my doctor's, like, can you give up your membership at a gym right now? Mm. Can you stop going to the gym mm. and just do walking or just do this? Yeah. Can you take your Fitbit off so you're not ruled by the number on there? Oh, okay, yeah. How many steps you've done? Yeah. Because all of that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Can you get rid of your scale in your house? Like, what are you willing to do? Like, mm -hmm. we're still like I'm still in the infancy in a lot of things, yeah. and it's no longer a hard no. Like, I just don't yeah. tell them to fuck off anymore. Yeah. Um, but you're getting softer and closer to negotiating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's probably going to have to be, um, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to have to feel some more pain mm. probably before I, I hope not. I hope I, by I hope talking not more and more about it, I don't yeah. feel like I have to really drive this thing into the fucking yeah. ground before, you know, or get hospitalized mm -hmm. because I'm not willing um, to um, start to kind of give up some of that power. Yeah. But I already know I'm giving up some of that by some of that power just by talking about this today. Mm -hmm. Like so, it, it's already starting. So yeah, uh, it's just a journey. It's it's never going to go away. But it is. Um, I can tell you, it's a lot better today than it was even six months ago. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I I guarantee it. I've seen I've seen lots of growth, even in just the little glimpse of you that I get. Right, um, lots of growth and lots of change. Right, yeah. just in that countenance. Right, and how we carry ourselves and 
hopefully it just keeps continuing because that's the goal yeah that is the goal and i think the more um it's been said lots um in our program but the more you help others too mm-hmm. um the more growth you'll see in yourself oh very much so yeah. i mean you're a perfect example of that mm. you know even listening to your story the other day and you know, there's encouragement. Like when I hear about people talking about things, like, you know, that have 18 years of recovery, mm-hmm. talking about things that have just started to happen in the last few years of the recovery, mm-hmm. I don't think, I wonder if he's wishing he'd been able to do that in the first year and not, you know, had to struggle all this time. Mm-hmm. What I think is, I bet you he's grateful that he's doing that today. Mm-hmm. Because there's no point in going back, well, I, yeah, I wish I didn't do this. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's where you're at today. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And my story is not in, much different than anyone else's, right, in terms of the arc of recovery, right? Like what I was dealing with in the first five years were the literal direct symptoms of my alcoholism that I had no choice but to deal with, right? Like in terms of that, paying back money, all mm. that kind of stuff. That was the brass tacks of it all. And I couldn't have dealt with what I'm going through now back then because I had so much other more urgent shit going on. Well, that's, right? the, that's exactly Or at it. least what I thought, anyway. It, well, that's it. Yeah. And, and, and all you can do is, um, that's why I just think it's it's just imperative. If, if people take anything away from this, is just be open to hearing mm-hmm. you might not know everything. Yeah, yeah. You, know, that you might not know what's best for you right now. Yeah. People would tell me that all the time, and I was just, I fucking hated hearing it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm saying it. Um, but it is like you might not know what's best for you. So if, yeah. you, if you're putting yourself at least out there, there's a chance that um, you might come across somebody or, or across a solution, or across something that will help you in a way you didn't yeah. know was possible. Yeah, and it could turn you in a totally different direction, and right. that's okay. Yeah. Right. Because I thought too, like, because like, it can be really overwhelming when you are coming mm-hmm. out of this fog. It is finances, for, like myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, health, physical health, finances, relationships. Mm-hmm. Everything was fucked. I yeah. was. You know, everything was was like, how, where do you begin? Yeah, exactly. Right? And, you and it's a crippling fear. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, an anxiety. And, you know, and if you stay in that state for too long, for me, relapse is inevitable. Like, mm-hmm. It will happen. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not doing something to get that breathing down. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, a lot of people do prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it can be just removing myself from environment, like getting mm-hmm. up for a walk, getting on the phone with somebody at, yep. in the fellowship. But to do something to get out of that, that's right. We're super br- anxiety state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're giving it. A, we're arresting it. Right. By getting out of it. Like. Yeah. That's what one of the things service to others does. Like, wh- however we deliver that service is irrelevant. The fact that we're doing it for others, and are we ever truly a hundred percent altruistic? Probably not. But I don't think that's essential. What's essential is we're doing it. Right. It's kind of like. The essential component to all of the service is the action of service. Because in the action of service to others, we're out of the picture. And yeah. that's the whole idea, right? Well, and it's, it's always interesting. And I get this feedback a lot from people is I, I am getting so much better at listening to others. Because mm-hmm. as, as I get out of my own head, I can help mm-hmm. hear what's coming out of your mouth. But when I was in my own head, there's it just I'm not retaining anything. But... Um, and again, kind of coming back to recognizing that I might not always see things as clearly as others, because mm-hmm. I can see things clearly in others that I share with them, yeah. and they look like a light bulb is going off. They're like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And like to me, it's so obvious that they don't, but they don't see it. Mm-hmm. So why am I so so unique that I think I know everything for myself and for others, mm-hmm. um, but they can't see it for themselves, and I <laughs> don't have a blind spot for myself. 
We all do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all do. It's just we don't often want to hear what it is that's in there. Mm -hmm. That's exactly there's right. Reason, there's a reason why it's being pushed back there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because we don't like it. No. So, and until, like, I think, to me, that uncovering the, the true, like, not just the nature of that blind spot, but honestly, that's what it has a lot to do with, the work that we do in recovery over the course of years, right? It's huge. What it really does is it just Opens gets it. rid of the blind spot. More yeah. and more of that blind spot, all that shit we were shoveling back there to yeah. try to get it out of our, our eyesight yeah. is now saying, okay, well, we're, we're, we're needing to do something. And here. we're capable of yeah. dealing with this today. Yeah. Um, and those things will slowly come out. It's mm -hmm. a life journey. This is not a yeah. one and done. Uh, and the more willing you are to look into that spot, the more mm -hmm. stuff that's going to come out. And the more peace you will have. Oh, yeah. Because for you're sure. no longer carrying shit that you didn't even know you were carrying. Yeah. So, again, like I've never ceased to be amazed by what comes out of this blind spot. Mm -hmm. And then often, too, when it's being said out loud, it's not nearly as bad as what I was thinking it was when I was shoving it back there. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, and that's, that's another part of the blind spot is it doesn't let you see it for what it is. Right. It makes it bigger. So it's more important to put it back there because it's so big. Yeah. When in reality, a lot of it's just like really tiny stuff that we probably could have dealt with right away if we had a different mind. Right. <laughs> There's no going back. So thank you, Janine. Well, thank you guys. This was for awesome. For doing this on your Saturday night. Woohoo. Yeah. Party. Dee -dee.